be reading from the 21st verse down to the end of the chapter. We would like to say that we have certainly appreciated the cards that we received, encouragement and what have you. I would like to add, though, that I'm almost out of Band-Aids and uh, aspirin tablets and, and uh, uh, Alka-Seltzer and all of that other stuff that come in the care package. I'm almost out of that. Of course, we'll not go any further than that. The ones responsible know all about that. But they don't last long. Twenty-first verse, uh, hard to break in on this chapter. I, I really found it's hard to break in, and yet the expedite time we feel like maybe we should. First off, we want to talk about the importance of children. The importance of children. Being a family man myself with four children and one foster son and about 14 grandchildren, I have found the importance of children more than anything else. But I want to make a parallel between the importance of children in the natural and the importance of children, or maybe I should say the necessity of children in the spiritual. Now I'm going to read this, and if you feel like I'm going to get off base a little bit with its interpretation, you just stay with me, will you? Because I feel like that God is speaking to us in this area, and the Scripture is left so that we can just move, extract many different areas and many different thoughts there. It carries one main theme, I realize that. It also leaves it in such an area that you can depart from that and move another direction, and it would all be good. So let's read it. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be, sub wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth, and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. And that is, in, is emphasized in the emphasized Bible. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. The wife see that she reverence her husband. And of course, in the context of that chapter, you know, those scriptures are real good things that we could take, I suppose, for the natural. And much of it is meant for the natural. I would like 
tonight or this morning to focus our attention upon the 31st verse. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, most particularly this last portion, and they too shall be one flesh. And they too shall be one flesh. I realize much ado is made about the husband and wife when they come together in marriage as becoming one. I have no nothing particular against this at all because individuals do become one in spirit, one in mind, one in context, or at least they should, with one common goal set before them. However, the verse, as it reads, bothers me. If we're going to follow that context with it, it bothers me. Because it says, and they too shall be one flesh. I find that it is almost impossible, close as my wife and I are, much as I love her and I think she loves me, it is impossible for us to be one flesh. We can become one in spirit, one in common goals, one in our prayer life, one in intercession, one in almost everything that we do, but we still remain two different individuals and two different bodies. We have not become one in flesh. And then as if to cap it off and add to the mystery, Paul says this is a great mystery. Now what's he talking about? Naturally he's talking about Christ and the church and the mystery that is there that hardly any man has ever unraveled. But I find in this another mystery. And that's the one I just read you that for this cause, Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and these two shall be one flesh? To me, that's a mystery. To me, that is a great mystery. And then you're prone to ask yourself, you could skip over it. You could say, well, perhaps this or that or something else, or else try to find no meaning at all. But when we do that, we do a disservice to the Apostle Paul and his contention that we should find what he's talking about. So when you look into it, you have to find out how are we as husband and wife going to become one flesh? How are we as Christ and the church going to become one flesh? There's but one possible answer, and that's through our children. I'll say it again, that's the only way that we can become one in flesh is through our children. I have a child sitting here now, natural born. She, we have become one flesh through her. I have two other daughters and a son that my wife and I have become one flesh through them. So knowing that in order for us to be one flesh, with Christ, an intimate with Christ, and where he intends for us to be with him, we simply have to, as a church, bear children. 
I'm going to say this with all the love of God in my heart. A church cannot be what God has ordained for it to be. A church cannot reach the height. A church cannot be one in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ without some way bringing children to birth. We find failures in churches that do not birth children. We find ourselves unable to cope with the things as we should because we have not become one with Christ bringing children into the world. Not casting aspersions upon anyone that has failed to have children. And you'll find that is the solidity in most coming together is to bear children and raise children. It takes, I'll say again, man's focusing his attention upon himself and causes him to focus his attention upon others. In other words, our attention turns from inward to outward. And because of that, we find ourselves expending ourselves for somebody else other than ourselves. And of course, God told us, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen, Brother Hoskoff. So I'm going to say this morning, with all the love of God that I have in my heart, for all of us who have joined together in one common cause and effort in Bethel Tabernacle, we can never reach the height of what we're supposed to reach until we bring children into the kingdom of God. It ought to be almost a nightly and a morning thing where children is born into the kingdom of God. But the Bible tells us that we have to travail in birth and pain to be delivered. Now, for a wife, how, how do we do this? For a wife to become with child and now, I know some of you old ones are going to say, well, that's going to be awful plain. But let me tell you something. The young people sitting here probably knows more about these things than we do. Don't fool yourself. Their education should not be behind the barn. It should come from mom and dad at home. It shouldn't have to come from schools. It ought to come from mom and dad at home. It should not have to come from the church. It should come from mom and dad at home. You see, that's what I'm talking about. When we have children, we have obligations. We have duties to perform unto them. And we forget about ourselves. All our attention is placed upon that one that has become so precious in our lives. And that's what God is wanting out of a church is to get ourselves out of ourselves and find something that we can lavish our attention on and clothe it and feed it and watch it grow before our eyes to become something and a reality and be a service for God Almighty. But how to do that? In order for a wife to become with child, she must first become intimate with her husband. I'm not talking about a lust. That's far from it. I'm talking about an intimacy of love that brings two people that love each other together in an intimacy that they never experienced before. And then when love brings them together and they have an intimacy, then this wife must accept the seed of the husband in order to become with child. 
Amen. The church is no different. And then we say, but Brother Host, for how is that going to be? Well, first, and I'm sure some of us know this, let's find out what the seed is. But before we do that, let's ask ourselves, have we, have, a, have we had a love affair with Christ? Has it been a shaking hands friendship? Or an uncle or aunt kiss on the cheek or the forehead? Or has it been a, a lustful adventure where we seek to extract our own fleshly pleasures? Or has it been an actual love affair, an intimacy with Christ Jesus? And there is a difference. Because until the church realizes this type of relationship, it will never become with time. Now those scriptures I read to you, and let's back up a little bit, intimate and tell us that Christ and the church is placed many times as husband and wife, and the church itself becomes a mother as it brings birth to children. And there's churches all over the land, congregations all over the land, that's bringing birth to children. I find myself here about the first of the week, as these things spring out into me, before I finish this, I drop to my knees in my office, right by my chair, and tears flow down my cheeks. And I said, God, why is it that we at Bethel Tabernacle cannot give birth to children? Why is it that we can't see children born into the kingdom of God? I'm not here to cast aspersions upon you. I suppose I take as much blame as you do. But friend, to know there's a problem and never try to get to the root of it is a height of folly. And to doctor the symptoms is not what we want. We want to get to the root of what it is and what makes it and do something about it. Did you know the Japanese found a way to dwarf tree, trees? They just simply cut the tap root off. And a tree that would become a giant tree becomes a small one. That devil has found a way to dwarf Christians. They just cut the tap root that runs to Christ. They're walking a weary land and he cuts that and shivers it and the Christian is dwarfed. Not to say that he, he doesn't know God. He hasn't come to repentance with God. But what God expected out of him. And his growth has been dwarfed. He remains little and small and incapable of exploring the great outdoors of God. Intimacy with Christ. A relationship. And there again I'll say not a lustful one. Not something where you come to Christ and make love to Him because you want to feel Him and experience the feeling that this intimacy gives. Not at all. That's lust and that's selfish. And that all goes along with it. That the primary purpose inside should be because you love Him. Because you want to please Him and get as close 
to Him as you possibly can. And you give yourself to Him in this relationship. And He gives Himself to you. And you're experiencing something that so-called lust can never give you. You're experiencing a perfect love or each one is giving to the other one out of love and out of wanting something not for themselves but for the kingdom of God. Intimacy. First of all. And friend, we can't have intimacy and a perfect love by committing spiritual adultery. Amen, Brother Hostel. What do you mean by that? I mean simply when anyone else takes the place of Christ and what He wants out of us, we are committing fornication or adultery. Awful quiet in here. But our eyes should be open and our ears not deaf to what God is trying to say. All right, now, we've been intimate. We've come together. How do we do this? There is a parable that defines it very clearly, and I'm sure you know it, if you're a Bible student at all. And in this parable of the sower and the seed found in St. Luke, the 8th chapter, Jesus says in verse 11, the seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. So let's rehash it. In order for a church to bear children, it must first be intimate with Christ and accept the seed which is the Word of God and it becomes impregnated with a child, something alive within its womb. Because love has brought it about. Because love has produced. And because maybe for the first time, not individually, but for the first time, this congregation or this church has experienced an intimacy with Christ that they never experienced before. Everything else, Every other man or woman outside of here meant nothing to this church. The pleasures of this life afforded it nothing because it was having a relationship with his husband, which is Christ, and a love affair had happened. And it submitted itself to God and accepted the Word. Now when I say accept, that means a little bit more than hearing. That means more than presenting yourself in the house of God and sitting there trying to wonder when's it going to be over and letting our minds wander someplace else. When let's stop long enough. What would you, as husbands or wives, either one, think that in that most precious and intimate moment? When your mind should be on your expression of love, that your husband or wife would immediately break that sincere effort because their mind has wandered somewhere else. What would you think about that? How would you read? 
back to this sort of thing. It would be a blow to your manhood or a blow to your womanhood because you had not captured the full attentions of your husband or your wife. Now Christ just related it here, Paul did, in that effort where he's telling us that the same is true with Christ in the church. How on earth do you think he feels when you're having a relationship with him and all at once something in this world captures your mind and you begin to express the sentiments of the world and the most precious thing that ever happened to you is there. What can you imagine the feeling? Oh, but does God have feelings? Sure he does. Sure he has feelings because we were made in the image of the likeness of him and we have feelings. If he can shout and feel joy, so can we. But if we hurt, so can he. And forgiving, yes he is. Very forgiving. But we're not on that track. We're on this track. Accepting the seed. Accepting the word. Saying, it's for me. And I want it to create something inside of me. I want another life. Uh, because I want to be part of another life. Tired of living by myself. I'm tired of buying and purchasing for myself. I'm tired of just asking for myself. I want to share what I have with something else. And I want to form it with the Lord Jesus Christ as the Father of it. That means accepting what you read, accepting what you hear, whether it comes from a black man, a yellow man, a man that's intellectual or one that's just dumb like I am. That means accepting what God says to you and apply it to yourself. That's accepting the seed. Now we're with child. Let's just suppose we have adapted everything that God is saying this morning. And we have said, God, I'm tired of my mind being running to and fro with everything else while you're... And like I said this morning at the offset, perhaps you think it's too plain that ask any mother has experienced the love of their husband. And that life begins to move inside of them. There's a change in that mother if she's a true mother. There's a feeling of joy and gladness as she waits for the first signal of movement. Here's her life. Then you feel the kick of a little foot or the move of a little hand or the heartbeat. And she says, yes, there's life. There's life. I'm going to produce something that's both of myself and my husband. And the church ought to feel the same way when it becomes pregnant, so to speak, with a child that belongs to Christ. There ought to be a feeling there inside. And the right type of mother will experience this. But have you ever saw and heard tell of as many abortions 
as there is in the land today. And I ask myself the question, why? Just pay attention to me, you'll be all right. I ask myself the question, why? Why would someone experience love and receive something inside and that not want it? There's a lot of reasons for it, I suppose. I'm not going to say that I'm against almost everything because there are areas in which to terminate a life would have to be unless God would come and right the wrongs that's in the body. But I'm talking about abortion simply for the sake of abortion. Why is it? Number one reason is because the mother does not want a change of lifestyle. This child threatens the lifestyle. And after the intimacy of love expressed, and the joy of the feeling that they received. And then they begin to experience morning sickness or the plagues would come with experiencing her giving birth to the child. And then they begin to wonder, if this child comes, my playtime is over. My partying is over. I can't do it anymore. And then they begin to see out here, the thing in which the church needs to watch out for. Because listen, children of God, when you become with child as a church, your lifestyle is bound for a change, whether you realize it or not. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to see the disadvantages of being with child and the disadvantage that's going to happen when this child is brought to birth. And then this mother, seeing that, just simply takes an easy way out. It's all for the mortgage. And she does. It'll never erase a lifetime of guilt. I remember counseling a young lady. I remember counseling a young lady one time that came and sat in the office. She had had an abortion. She had experienced the love that goes with it with her husband. And she wanted an abortion because this was going to change her lifestyle. And she had it. And she sat in my office. And she said, every place I went for an advice, they told me how easy it would be, and that's the thing I must do. But she said they failed to tell me one thing, and that was the guilt and the shame that was on me now and will be for the rest of my life. So they have an abortion. We're not careful. After our experience of love and expression of joy and intimacy with Christ and become with child, and we see that's going to have a marked difference in our lifestyle. We as a church, we're not careful. We'll just simply purposely abort it. How do we do that? Simply by ignoring the fact that it's there. And I need to get on. 
But there are several different ones, but another one is this. There are certain precautions that a mother needs to take with a child. She can't do what she used to do. I sometimes eat the same things she used to eat, and she has to watch her diet on many occasions. But there are those that skip merrily along, not mindful of that life inside of them, only mindful of their own selfishness and their own desires. How because of not watching themselves, they maybe not purposely abort the child, but it's aborted before it's brought to full manhood or womanhood. That church is the same way. I know them time after time, and I don't know about you, but I do know I spent 20 years in one place, and I watched it abort children time and time again. I watched it as a church. I mean as a church, not as an individual. I watched it as a church fail to realize the precautions it must take and realize that their attention now must be turned to that which lives within them and not themselves. And refusing to do this continued on the same way till finally the child did not come to full maturity and was abortion. As others, of course, where there's some malady, some disease, something wrong with the makeup of the mother that causes it just simply to lose their child, even if they want it that bad. My friend, let me tell you something. As a church of the living God, there should be no maladies, should be no weaknesses in us, because we have the great position. And when we become impregnated with a child, we ought to bring it into being and hear its first cry as it says, Have a father and enter into the kingdom of God. I miss that cry. I miss the cry of a newborn babe. I love to hear them as they're born into the kingdom as they cry of a father and begin to speak in another language. I miss it. And a church as a whole ought to miss it. But finally in closing, we've become intimate. We've accepted the seed when the child is born. Happy, bouncing baby girl or boy. And there it is, full of life full of happiness. There's the pride eyes, proud eyes of the father looks down. That gaze of the mother that says, look what I gave you. Look what you lose. God the same way as he looks down proudly at that which the mother has produced. And we as the church to say, God, look what I gave you. Look what I presented to you. God, it's you. But is that all? You've suffered so much, brought to life, brought to fullness in the child's thing. And that seems to be the position, and I'm going to say of most Pentecostal churches. It's brought it in with the sound of trumpets and the booming voice, and it cries out in this joy because a child is born. Then the mother turns around and walks off and does its own thing. And the little baby there is helpless and don't know what to do. And nobody there to feed it and clothe it and take care of it. 
him. It's more than just experiencing the joy of this relationship. It's more than just seeing that it's brought to fullness being born. After it's born, you have a child there that is unable to think for itself. It can't read. It can't write. It can't clothe itself. And who does that? The mother is the responsible person for that. And yet oftentimes we're so, so messed up with our own life and so confused with our own avenues and we just leave that little infant there crying out in his helplessness and it dies and we wonder what's the matter with it. We've even pointed our finger at it generations ago. We've done it up till now and said, I knew that it would never make it. I knew there was something wrong with it to start with. Instead of realizing it was our responsibility, we are the ones that made it die. Because we were too busy with our own life Take care of that helpless little thing. God help us and forgive us. I realize that when a child is born into the kingdom, it's not an adult. It needs some help. I'll tell you something else. Your parents ain't going to like it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. After you've nurtured it and took care of it, and it gets up to the place where it can clothe itself, and take care of itself and feed itself. And it gets to a stage that it thinks it can handle everything for itself. And you just let it. I said, you just let it. You got no authority issue, no authority. Take no responsibility. Friend, the worst time in the world, and I'm going to tell you this, the worst time in the world for a child and when they need a hand of authority on them, the worst in the world is when they get the attitude that they don't need anybody. Then, when comes the authority of mom and dad and says you don't have what it takes to deal with this world as it is. Most of us, pardon me young people, I've been there when we get to the stage maybe of preteens or teens. Mom and dad is so dumb that they don't know anything. And we're so smart that we know it all. And then all at once they can't tell us a thing. And the rebellious stage comes and to save some problems. Mom and dad just says, well, just go ahead. And what you fail to realize is you relinquish the responsibility that God never told you you could. And you wonder why they turn out like they do. And the same thing with the church. You can bring them up and raise them up spiritually, and there'll come a time when they think they know more than the pastor or the Sunday school superintendent or the Sunday school teachers, and we'll just put them out on their own. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. Then it's when they need the iron hand of authority upon them to guide them in the right direction, in the right way. You talk about a mess in the house. You get something like that going on and it's not all going to be peace. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. <laughs> when it comes to that, you talk about a mess in the church and when you start to deal with know-it-alls, then you're going to have a problem. That friend never relinquish as a church the authority that is needed. There has to be, and I'm taking more time than I want to. 
but I don't think I can hurry this. I don't think there's anything any more important than what I'm trying to say. A child is born. But to what type of mother is it born? Jesus says, have you ever seen children, I mean young ladies, have a baby? They don't no more know what to do with it than a man in the moon, most of them. It's just a cute little thing that they tickle under the chin. That's all it is to them. I mean, they have never got out of themselves hardly at all. And here they are having a child. And you say, well, that can't happen with the church. But Jesus says it can. In Matthew 11, 16, he says, But wherein shall I liken this generation? It's likened to children sitting in a marketplace and calling to their fellows. We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. Then Hebrews 5 and 12 says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. Goes on to say what? You should teach, but Titus then, against the narrow it all down in the second chapter, Paul admonished the aged women. Or in a sense, Paul admonished the church to be teachers of good things. Why? That they might teach the young women to be sober. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet or separated from the entanglements of this world, to be chaste or pure or undefiled, to be keepers at home and obedient to their own husbands. Why should these things be taught? That the Word of God be not blasphemed. I should sit here and ask you, as a church, how many of these things, you as the aged ones, so to speak, how many of these things you've done, I would probably have to flunk the majority of us. Because sobriety is a thing that's going out the window. Love of husbands is a thing that you hardly see anymore. Love of the children, that's more child abuse now than there's ever been. And you say, oh, that's terrible. Let's bring it back into the spiritual and see what it says for us to do. Teach the young women to be sober. That's not be drunk on the things of this world. And pleasure, man. You know you can be drunk on pleasures. We get out on the alcoholic because he drinks his rum and his booze. But friend, so many of us who know God have come drunk on pleasures of this world. We spend our time tickling flesh and letting our prayer life go. Not too many is going to shout, I know that. To love their husbands. To love Christ. We need to be taught to love Christ. We need to teach them to love Christ. And to love their children. There's a lot of abused children in this world. There's a lot of abused children in the spiritual world too. They're simply abused. They're left to fend for themselves. They're left to take care of themselves while the mother gallivants someplace and does her thing. And that's not only in the place, but that's in the spirit. That's a ruination of church. And it says to be discreet, or that's to be separate, and to be chaste. I just read something that's shattering to me. 18 percent 
of the masses of teenage girls is always found to be virgin. On the majority of them, there's never been any teaching to be otherwise. Sex has been displayed before them. It screams out over television. We don't know where the knob is. It's done at school and reacted in school and nothing's ever said about it. And nothing to the contrary has ever been set down in the home. Keepers at home. First and foremost responsibility of a wife is to keep her house, whether we want to believe that or not. We can have a million other things we think we ought to do for God, and if we let that one thing go, we haven't done the first thing God asked us to do. And then the spiritual keepers of the home. There needs to be some aged women and aged men. That's keepers of the home. And to be obedient to their husbands, obedient to Christ, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know why in closing? Ezekiel 16.44 talks about a proverb or a parable. And it says simply this. But it has a great, great weight hanging on to it. As he says, as is the mother, so is her daughter. Shall we stand?